CJ, 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 CJ. You are anxious and troubled about so many things. Your heart is pulled in so many directions. Worry consumes you. You are deeply troubled, bearing burdens far too great for you to bear. These are the words that I heard from Jesus over and over and over this week as I studied this passage. Um, What about you? Might those words also be for you? Put your name in there this morning. You are anxious and troubled about so many things. What troubles you? What fills your thoughts? Even now, as we enter into the presence of the Lord, preparing to feast on his words, to sit at his feet, what thoughts absolutely consume you? If we could see a word cloud of your thoughts from the last 24 hours, what would we find? Presentation due, help kids with schoolwork, deadline approaching, demonstrate competency, resolve conflict, show more initiative, solve problem X. And even if we manage to somehow calm our inner world and silence these voices, we are inundated throughout our day with notifications on these tiny little devices sitting next to us, constant invitations of interruption that beckon us, come and complete this task. You will feel so much better when you do. Dr. Edward Hallowell, he's an expert in ADHD, says this. He said, there's something irresistible about an unopened message. It's the mystery envelope with the big question mark on it. Brother, sister, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. These are the words that Jesus says to Martha here in Luke chapter 10. Martha's distractions are not obviously coming from her phone, but they are deeply embedded in her heart. And her anxieties and distractions are particularly tied to her desire to get it right, to serve Jesus in the way that she thinks he wants to be served and needs to be served. So her intentions are not entirely wrong, but she really misses what life with Jesus is designed to be like. The story has three characters. It has Jesus, the present Lord, Mary, the humble learner, and Martha, the anxious servant. 
And what I believe Jesus longs to teach us today is that the humble learner receives a far better portion from the presence of the Lord than the anxious servant. The humble learner receives a far better portion from the presence of the Lord than the anxious servant. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I confess this morning that so much of my service to you is filled with distraction, anxiety, and a troubled disposition. I am guilty of bearing burdens that do not belong to me. I confess to you, Lord, that it's difficult for me, like Martha, to simply abide in you, to spend time in your presence, receiving the greater portion. Lord, we come this morning asking that you would give us a spirit of humility, that you would overcome the many distractions that fill our minds and our hearts even now. Lord, keep our attention fixed on you and your word this morning. We cherish the gift of your scriptures. And so we invite you to speak to us now. Be in our midst. Amen. Well, welcome. Thanks for being with us on the call. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, I'm CJ. I'm one of the pastors. We're, we're glad you're with us. If you have a Bible, you can grab that and turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in uh, verses 38 through 42. And if you're just kind of joining us or you've missed a few of the sermons in the, in the book of Luke, in uh, Luke's carefully ordered account of the life of Jesus, he's in a section right now where he's focusing on Christ's journey towards Jerusalem, where he will decidedly be killed for his claims to be the Messiah. Okay, so imagine how stressed Jesus is, right? If anybody has the right to be anxious, troubled, or distracted, it's Jesus. And as he and his disciples make their way to Jerusalem, he has been teaching them some very key principles since his time with them is limited. In the beginning of Luke 10, he sends them out reminding them that they're going to need his power in order to proclaim his message. Then when they come back, he reminds them on their return that their own salvation is even more important than the work they do in his name. They must abide in his person while they abound in his works. Okay, and then a couple weeks ago, Toby Kurth taught through the story of the Good Samaritan. That, that's a story about serving Jesus by demonstrating mercy to even our greatest enemies. So there's no question that to be a follower of Jesus, one must have the heart of a servant. However, as we will see in this story, there is a type of service that can actually keep us from the very Lord we aim to serve. And we're never to serve at the expense of our abiding presence with the Lord. Let's pick it up in Luke 10, starting in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, this is not just some random house, okay? 
Jesus is in Bethany, a place he regularly went for rest and rejuvenation. Martha, her sister Mary, and her brother Lazarus were some of Jesus' most intimate friends. We know this both because of how often Jesus goes to their home, but then also John tells us as much in his gospel in John chapter 11, verse 5. He says that Jesus loved them. Okay, Lazarus actually dies and Jesus weeps over his death. Okay, so that we need to know that right off the bat. These are beloved people to Jesus. Martha and Mary are like sisters to him. That's how close he is with them. Verse 39, and she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay, so Mary... Though she never speaks a word in this whole account, does something remarkable. We need to realize that women were not allowed in the culture to sit at a rabbi's feet. That was a position reserved only for men at the time. So Luke tells us very emphatically that Mary sat herself beside Jesus. Okay, this is not just a casual gesture. This isn't just like the spot in the room she picked because there was no place else. Maybe I'll sit here. This is Mary decidedly securing the best seat in the house next to Jesus. Now, what does this say about what Mary knows to be true about Jesus? It tells us she is full of confidence that Jesus is just the type of rabbi who would welcome and enjoy her presence. So she she makes this effort to be near Jesus, receives the gift of Jesus breaking down these cultural barriers. So then juxtaposed to that is Martha who declined that position. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Okay, so while Mary is enjoying the cultural traditions Jesus has broken, which is enormously significant, Martha is busy trying to keep those traditions. Okay, based on the sequence of Luke's account, it's reasonable to assume that Jesus' visit to their home is during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is an annual Jewish feast that celebrated the end of the harvest. And we can't fail to appreciate the importance of hospitality in ancient Jewish tradition. It was a really big deal to provide well for people who entered your home. We see this throughout the entire Old Testament. One specific example is in Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham and Sarah serve angels sent by the Lord and labor intensely to show them hospitality and servitude. So Martha knew well what was required of her as a hostess, but also to believe the best in Martha, like she really loves Jesus, right? She's eager to serve him. She likely had in her mind, as many of us would, that Jesus was exhausted from his long journey. Okay, so she hurries about the household, seeking to make everything just right. She's saying to the household, probably to everybody, all hands on deck. The food must be prepared just right. 
Each dish must be served in a timely manner, but somewhere along the way, as she's going about serving Jesus, she, she misses what Jesus truly desires of her and also fails to recognize the greater value of his presence. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She is upset about this. I picture Martha going about serving Jesus and every, kind of everyone else present, brooding over the lack of support from her sister. Each time she enters the room with a new plate of food, she sort of does, does it a little bit louder, right? Maybe she lets out a few dramatic sighs, hoping someone will notice. And then finally, she just can't take it anymore. And who does she direct her anger toward first? Jesus. The first thing she does is question him. Do you even care about me? Have you ever said those words to the Lord? And then she says, I have been left alone. Which reads to me, does anybody see me? So first, Lord, do you care about me at all? And then, do you even see me? I hope you do. And if so, Lord, if you care about me and you see me, then do something about it. Tell her to help me. Martha is super angry with Jesus. What about you? Are you angry with Jesus? I am. I got all kinds of Martha going on in here. Here's what I love about Martha. It's obvious that Mary is really close to Jesus and trusts him immensely because she has the confidence to defy traditions and sit as, at his feet. But actually, Martha is just as close to him. She too trusts Jesus enough to tell him exactly how she feels, unfiltered and in public, in front of everybody. That is as bold a move as sitting at Jesus' feet and even demonstrates an equal level of trust. I submit to you this morning that Jesus wants you to feel the exact same way in your relationship with him. He welcomes your frustrations. He welcomes your confusion. He welcomes your true, raw, sometimes even childish emotions like anger, disappointment, loneliness, rejection, 
abandonment. I've been listening to a phenomenal podcast that my good friend Abe Meisenberg told me about called The Place We Find Ourselves. It's hosted by a man named Adam Young, who is a Christian counselor. And in one of the episodes, he says, if you are living an honest life, I don't know how you escape feeling anger at God. Very often, one's anger at God is actually a result of how important God is to you. It is evidence of your holiness and your faithfulness to God. He points out, or he points to Job as an example of someone in the scriptures who cries out in anger toward God and how God meets him in that space and later even commends Job for his honesty. Adam uh, Adam Young mentions a book that I really love by C.S. Lewis called Till We Have Faces. And if you haven't read that story, it's a fairy tale wherein the main character in the book throughout the whole story feels deeply wronged by the gods. And at the end of the book, she finally gets a chance to like really speak her peace to the gods and just like let them have it. She goes over all the wrongs that have been done to her. And then when she's done, she repeats and goes back over them again. And then she says this, the time will come when you at last utter the speech which has lain at the center of your soul for years. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly. How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Later, C.S. Lewis was interviewed and asked to explain this book and the meaning behind these final words. Lewis says, a human being must become real before it can expect to receive any message from God. That is, it must be speaking with its own voice, expressing its actual desires. This story isn't just about learning from Martha's mistake about serving Jesus with improper motives. That's here. But it's also an invitation to bring our true selves to Jesus like she does. Because look at how Jesus responds to her and what awaits us as well if we would be so bold. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now here is an instructive moment from the text. In our culture, when we repeat someone's name, what are we usually trying to convey? Condescension and disappointment. It's it's the way I opened the sermon. CJ, 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 right? When we picture Jesus responding to us this way, we kind of picture his head, his head shaking and his eyes closed. 
But in the Hebrew language, to repeat someone's name is a declaration of tender intimacy. When God speaks to Abraham at Mount Moriah, as Abraham is about to plunge the knife into Isaac, the Lord says to him, Abraham, Abraham. When God comes to Moses at the burning bush, he says, Moses, Moses. This is not condescension. He wants to unburden her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. The word for anxious here means to be divided, to be pulled apart. The word troubled is way more intense. The word troubled means to be terrified, to be struck with panic. Jesus never intends that serving him would cause anxiety and terror. So he absolutely invites us to serve him. But what does Jesus say that should be like for us? What should it feel like to follow Jesus, to serve him as he does? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is maybe a good one to have up in your house someplace. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, will you come and be unburdened this morning by your anxiety and terror? Would you let Jesus remove that from you? Are you still struggling to believe that your relationship with Jesus requires that you serve him in a particular way and demand that others do the same? I confess that I, I am struggling to believe that. I confess to you that I often want, I want it to be that my behaviors will not only increase God's love for me, but also place me in better standing with him than someone else who claims to love him, but who is unwilling to serve him in the way I am serving him. Brother and sister, you are deeply loved by Jesus this morning. He didn't ask you to clean up the house, make sure all the food was perfect. None of that actually matters. What is most important to Jesus this morning? Look what he says, verse 42. He says, but one thing, only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Okay, what is this one thing? This good portion he is referring to that Mary chose. Let's look again at verse 39. It says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet 
and listen to his teaching. Mary's focus is on Christ's presence and on his words. Mary, throughout Jesus' life and ministry and teaching, has been listening carefully to Jesus, and she seems to understand something that most of the disciples are not clued into. He's going to die soon. Okay, back in Luke 9, Jesus told his disciples two different times that he would be killed, but Luke tells us they didn't understand it. They were absolutely convinced that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government through an act of power, not through death. So how do we know that Mary seems to understand what no one else, including Martha, does? Well, in chapter 12 of John's gospel, he tells us about an occasion that couldn't have happened long after this, where Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. You remember that story? It's going to come later. She wipes his feet with her hair and puts this expensive ointment. How expensive is it? The cost of the oil that she uses is the amount of an entire year's wages. Okay, so whatever you made last year, that's how much money Mary spends on a jar of oil that she pours out on Jesus' feet to anoint him. The only reason she would do something this grand is because she understood that she was preparing Jesus' body for burial. She knew he would die because she had listened to his words. She was a humble learner and therefore thought, Nothing is more important nothing is more important right now than just being close to Jesus hanging on his every last word. So I want to ask all of us this morning do we listen to Jesus? Do we sit at his feet? Enjoying his presence like Mary did. When you are experiencing stress, anxiety, pressure, conflict throughout your day, how present is Jesus and his words to comfort you, to guide you, to lead you, and even to challenge you? The best gift that Jesus gives is always himself. If more of Jesus is what we want more than anything in the world, then our hearts will never go unsatisfied. If, like Martha, our longings are for things other than the person of Jesus, then those are going to be the source of the greatest burdens we bear. What Jesus longed for, though he was weary and tired, exhausted, far more than an elaborate meal, was simply Martha's company. 
He just wanted to be with her. And he knew that is what she actually needed the most. Mary had a sense of urgency that came from the knowledge that Jesus' time was short. Our urgency should come from the knowledge that our time is short. One of Renee's favorite authors uh, is Shauna Nyquist. And she has a book called Present Over Perfect. And in that book, Shauna talks about the importance of presence, of being present with Christ in her own life. She's a bit of a recovering Martha learning to simply be with Jesus. And I love what she said in her book. She said, I I didn't want to get to the end of my life and look back and realize that the best thing about me was that I was organized. She comes to this place where she just appreciated how short life is. That she would have to choose this one necessary thing that Jesus is talking about. Himself and his words. Now, the story here in Luke 10 kind of ends abruptly here. Like what became of Martha? By God's grace and because of his word, we don't have to guess. Sometime later, we read in John 11 that Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus, dies. I want, I want us to pay close attention to Martha's behaviors and her words in this scene. John chapter 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. I love this. Nothing mattered to Martha more in that moment of tragedy than being as close to Jesus as she could possibly be as quickly as she could be. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world. Notice Martha's attention in this scene to Christ's presence. If you had been here and Christ's words, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. It took her a little longer, but she got it. She understood the value of being in Christ's presence and of listening to and believing what he says. 
that gives me hope that while I stumble about seeking to please God with all my anxious servitude, he is at work even through tragic or frustrating events, transforming even me into a humble learner who recognizes increasingly that Jesus' presence and his words are the best portion in this life, the one thing that can never be taken away from me. Martha eventually came to understand fully that her works couldn't save her. She would have understood what Tim Keller says about salvation. I love this, one of my favorite quotes. It's from his book, The Prodigal God, when he says, in order to be saved, you will not only have to repent for the things you have done wrong, but for the reasons you ever did anything right. The present Lord is the only one who can help us humbly listen rather than anxiously serve. But we don't always love this good news. We would much rather manage our relationships with servanthood rather than abiding. We are scared to death that people will leave us if we don't bring them any value by way of giving or serving. And so of course, we do that in all of our relationships. So of course we bring that to Jesus. The task of abiding in Christ versus serving him feels impossible. It's counterintuitive to us. We live in a transactional culture where our value is predicated on the exchange of goods and services. The claim that I can be loved not for my works, but the works of another is preposterous and sounds way too good to be true. Like, surely this is some kind of trick and I am not buying it. But Jesus sees our compulsion to serve in our relationships with him and with each other. He sees how burdened we are. He sees how terrified we are to take the risk of sitting and listening, of choosing to stop the madness of our relationship management strategy. And he has compassion on us and he accomplishes it for us. See, Jesus is the only one who perfectly serves in a way that is not based in anxiety. He is the only one who serves without any agenda of coercion or manipulation. So that Jesus' perfect life and obedience to the cross become a form of servanthood that is akin to sitting at his own father's feet, submitting his will to him, saying to his father, not my will, but yours be done. And it is in this act that Jesus now, having risen from the dead and ascending to heaven, now sits at the right hand of the Father, receiving the eternal portion of sonship. And because of that, you and I receive his inheritance with him, whether we sat listening or anxiously served. If you are a Martha today, 
You can rest knowing that even when you are most anxious and troubled, serving others and the Lord out of compulsion, that Christ still receives you because of his own abiding work on the cross. I don't know about you, but this Martha right here is desperate to hear that good news this morning. Praise Jesus that I can sit down and be with him and that is enough. And that even when I won't sit down, he sits down for me. Kind and gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of my portion, I worship you from the depths of my being. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I receive it today. If we can receive from Christ, truly, fully receive from him, we will then be free to serve him from another place, a place of rest, a place that has boundaries, that appreciates limits, a place that brings joy and peace, a place that remembers that my work doesn't bear the burden that only Christ can bear. Let me pray for us this morning. God, it is such a gift to us that you have passed down your scriptures to us. I love the Bible. Lord Jesus, I praise you for the Bible, for these stories that are just so rich with meaning. They point us back to earlier parts of the story. They point us ahead to later parts of the story. Lord, you are an amazing storyteller and you have given us the entirety of your word. Like Martha and Mary didn't even have as much of your words as we do written down that we can go to every day and read over and over again. We give you praise and glory for this. Lord, help us to not neglect your scriptures or to um, lack appreciation for them or to grow tired or bored of them. Invite us daily, Lord Jesus, into your presence. Let us sit with you. God, I pray for, for myself and everyone present that this week we would notice our anxious and troubled servant servanthood, things we've convinced ourselves you've asked us to do and that we're doing in your name, but that you are saying, I'd rather just sit with you. We ask for your help. It's in your name we pray. Amen.